Welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk with attorneys and judges about their lives and careers in the legal profession. I'm Lewis Goodman. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with the Honorable Joe Lynn Lee of the Alameda County Superior Court. Judge Lee worked as an assistant district attorney in the famed Bronx Courthouse in New York. She's prosecuted as an assistant United States attorney in San Francisco and handled numerous matters of civil litigation in private practice. Serving as a neutral before her elevation to the bench, Judge Lee served as a special master and discovery referee. As the first Asian-American female judge appointed in Alameda County, Judge Lee has presided over both civil and criminal matters. She has recently returned from three months as a visiting fellow at Oxford University in England. Judge JoLynn Lee, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Glad to be here. Happy to see you. It's good to see you, too. Where are you speaking to us from right now? I'm actually speaking from home, from Alameda, so I'm... Where are you from originally? Well, so I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but I, at a very young age, my family moved to New York City, Manhattan in particular, so I grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Is that where you went to high school? I went to high school at the High School of Music and Art, which is a specialized, you know, school in New York that was up at that time. It's now in Lincoln Center, but at that time was up by, almost by, you know, the edge of Harlem, up by City College. So did you play an instrument? I didn't. I was actually, I, the school was, half of it were musical, you know, music students. The other half were art students, visual arts. So I was a visual arts student. Some people did both. I just did the visual arts portion of it. And when so you I, say visual arts, could you be a little more specific? Yeah, so, you know, painting, printing. I, at, the, at your senior, you'd, what happened would be is that part of the day you would be in, in basically in art classes. So art history or workshops, you know, everybody had to take, you know, basic, you know, oil painting, watercolor, printmaking, and so forth. And then in the, the final year, you would specialize, and I specialized in print printmaking. So I was doing printmaking to, at that point. And then the other half of the day, it was academic subjects. It was very interesting. It was fun. It, it sounds like an incredible education. It, it was. I think it was probably one of the best best education I had. It was really amazing, actually. Now, when you graduated from high school, where'd you go to college? Well, I started out at Michigan State for just a year, and then I transferred to the City University, Brooklyn College, City University of New York. So I graduated there with political science at the end of the day. I was originally interested in urban planning, which is why I went to Michigan State, which had a specialty there. And then I ended up at, at Brooklyn and became a political science major. And then after that, I went to Columbia University in New York for law school. Did you take any time off between the time you graduated from college and the time you went to Columbia, yeah. or did you go straight through? One year I took off, I was working at, for the Port of New York Authority. I was called a junior administrative assistant, which was an interesting job. And I, the, most, the most interesting thing I remember about that job was that, and at that time, this is before computers were you know, used by everybody, I remember an, an older woman at the office telling me, that I should never volunteer to type for anybody because otherwise you, were, you would be kept in this sort of being somebody's secretary, right? So it was like really good advice sort of <laughs> for women at the time. And, you know, and of course, later on, everybody types, right? Now everybody just types for you. If you don't type, you're, you're in trouble. So. You know, I was talking to 
young woman who is just going into high school and I asked her <laughs> if they have typing classes and she said, no, we don't have typing classes because everybody basically knows how to type anyway. Exactly. I mean, you know, what's five years old, they're typing, right? So, you know, but so Coral has changed quite a bit since then, and that's for sure. When did you first start thinking about being a lawyer? When did it occur to mm. you that law was your profession? Well, you know, I, 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 after college, after I finished, after I had graduated, I was still interested in urban planning. And I thought that the law school would be a place to, you know, learn about zoning, for instance, real estate, et cetera. And that I would actually, I wasn't really interested in actually practicing law so much as perhaps utilizing, you know, the law in, 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 the, in the urban, you know, urban practice. So, you know, city planning and so forth. So that's how it started out. But once I got into law school, I ended up getting interested in litigation and really totally not involved in urban planning at all. So when you graduated from law school, what did you first start doing? I was I was I I I had I was a, a deputy district attorney. They called it in in New York assistant district attorney at, in the Bronx in Bronx County. I had worked for them the summer before, so I just ended up with them, you know, afterwards. I have to ask you if you've read one of my absolute favorite books, Bonfire of the Vanities. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know I haven't read it, but. It is, I think, as I recall, I mean, I, I recall reading a, a, some excerpts from it, and it's a very, actually, quite an accurate description of what I read of the of what the Bronx District Attorney's Office was like at the time. And I think the forward, in the forward, I think he he, he thanks a particular assistant DA there, Ed, I'm trying to remember his last name, but who I knew very well at, at the DA's office. Yeah. So you started out in the Bronx County District Attorney's Office. Now you are a Superior Court judge in Alameda County, California. Can you briefly take us through your career so that we can see what that path was like for you? Yeah, so I started, as I said, I started out in the DA's office. At one point in, as I was in that, you know, in that career, I decided that I wanted to move out of New York City. So this had this sort of revelation where I was standing on the subway tracks. I was living in the Upper West Side at the time, and I, I was, you know, sitting on the, waiting for my train to go take me to the Bronx, South Bronx, and there were like four tracks, you know, and I don't know if you've ever been to New York City or in a, in a subway station there, but can it be very noisy? And when there's I four lived on the Upper West oh, Side okay. for a while. So when there's four tracks, you know, it could be that all four trains are, right, at, and that what was happening. And it was so noisy and so disturbing, I said, I have to get out of here. I need to get out of New York City. And so that's so I started looking for a job. And I sent out resumes. And one of them was to the National Center for State Courts. I got a very polite letter back saying, you know, really appreciate your applying. And it was for a job, I think, in Colorado. And but, you know, we, we really don't have anything for you. We'll keep you in our, you know, in our in our in our file cabinet. So I said, fine, I never expected to hear from them again, but I did, like six months later, offering me a job out in San Francisco. So it was, you know, they actually did look back at their files for old resumes and got interviewed by a very uh, good gentleman who was the head of the, the National Center for State Court, San Francisco office, that I ended up going out and working for them. Yeah, it was on an eight, I was on a very specific 18-month project to study court delay around the country. And so we went to state courts. We're about, I'd say, 25 state courts that we went to. We split up our team and went to different courts and 
collected data, spoke to judges and lawyers and so forth, and did a report on court delay, which was actually interesting because later on, as I understand it, it was used really pretty much to to you know to advocate for direct calendars because we compared it to say to federal courts and understood that you know the direct calendars really made cases go faster. It was you know you get less delay. So that's really where where it started, and that's how I got to California. Well, speaking of federal courts, you served as an assistant mm-hmm. United States attorney for yeah. a period of time. And what was that like, and how did that compare with being an assistant district attorney in state court? Yeah, well, it's quite different, but also it's California and, and New York are very different in terms of their state court systems. You know, so, for instance, in New York City, in order to in order to charge a felony, you must indict and you must go before the grand jury. So a grand jury, you can't get a, a felony indictment until there's a grand jury hearing, which is very different here. We have preliminary hearings, right? We did nothing like that. So it's, it's really quite different. And the experience is quite different, of course, you know, and being in federal court. And I was with, I was at pretty much most of the time in San Jose, which at that time was a very small courthouse run out of, you know, they didn't have their big courthouse yet up there at that time. They were built still building it. And I had, I was before Judge Ingram a lot. I don't know if you knew him, but he was a wonderful judge to be before. So I spent a lot of time in front of him and that it was a great experience. I, it was, I enjoyed it. You also have had some experience as a civil attorney. So they, I left criminal work, most particularly litigation, because I, I had a, a young daughter. I had a baby, and I decided that I couldn't do. You know, I, I really needed more control over my calendar. I couldn't, you know, you know, when you're in trial, you're it's twenty four seven, right? So at that point, I decided to go into civil practice, and I ended up with a a very nice, a good insurance defense firm actually down in in, in San Jose at that time. So that was an yeah, you know, I my my last trial before Judge Ingram before I left the U.S. Attorney's Office. I I think it was like the day before I gave birth. You know, so <laughs> it was it was that was an interesting experience. And uh, yeah, I decided I just couldn't continue to do that. And interestingly enough, I ended up staying out for like a year. And when I did that, I wasn't planning on doing that. I mean, they didn't have you know they didn't have any like time off that you could take at that time after having a baby. You just either stayed or you didn't you didn't stay with the with the with the office, that you quit. But I, I don't know why. I think I was reading something. I came from Columbia University, and at the time, it was a dean who was a, a female dean, and she. They gave a little bit of her background, and one of the things she said was one of the things that I realized happened is she had been like off of. She had been out of the business of law for something, you know, for several years for various reasons, and then came back and did very well. So I realized, well, if she could be at that long period of time, I could take off for a year and it won't be an issue, you know. So I took off the year and, and then I came back. When I came back, that's when I started into the civil practice. What prompted you to start thinking about a judicial career? So I didn't actually ever consider becoming a judge, but I had a very good friend. And when I was, I was doing, a new, when I was a neutral, I had a very good friend who, still a good friend, who was on the Jenny Commission. And at the time, she said, you know, she said, I really think you might consider putting in an application. I think, you know, you would be a good fit right now and it'd be a good time for you to do it if you're interested. So I, I said, well, why not? So I did. That's really, really, actually, that's, that was it. And I didn't have any particular, you know, it was kind of, you know, yeah, this would be an interesting thing to do. It actually turned out to be actually the process itself was a great process. So I, you know, I never regretted the process. And I, 
And I, as I said, I said, even if I don't get this position, the process was, you know, it's, it was so supportive that I really was happy to have done it irrespective because I had to reach out, you know, to folks I hadn't, you know, spoken to probably in a, in a decade or so or more because you have to, you know, identify all the people you worked with in the past and judges and lawyers and so forth. And, and so I did that. And I just, it was just like I got a, so tremendous sort of positive support from people that it was a really, actually a really excellent ex- experience for me. So that's how it happened. It was just somebody suggested and I said, why not? What is it about practicing law, being a judge, being involved in the law that you really like? You know what? I, I really like being a judge. I think it's like the best job in the world. And I think it's because there's, yeah, it's a challenge every day. You know, there's, and you never know what to expect. So particularly if you're, I mean, it doesn't matter if, even if, you know, if you're doing asbestos cases all day or if you're doing, like you are in a civil direct, could be doing anything, anything from an auto case, you know, rear ender to medical malpractice, right? Or, uh, you know, some other esoteric areas of uh, specialized areas of law. So you learn a lot um, uh, and uh, it's a real incredible challenge. So um, I really enjoy it. I think that's the best part of it. If a young person were coming out of college thinking about a career, would you recommend the law? Oh, yes, I think so. I don't think it's for everybody. But if somebody was at least question asking, that means they have some interest. It's not, I take it it's not like TV. I mean, I would, you know, I, I mean, I don't actually have a TV, so I have no idea in many ways what they have on TV these days. But it's certainly like not like the old TV, you know screens. There's certain people, you know, who, who for, and I've met them, quite a few in the law, who as a, as a child, you know, just they, 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 they know that they want to become a lawyer. And not only that, they want to be a courtroom lawyer. They want to be a litigator. And there's, there's a few people like that. But I think a lot of people go into law school, at least they did when I was going to law school, because they really didn't know what else to do. You know, they didn't know what their, they, it kept their options open, which is true. And you can do a lot of things with the law besides being a lawyer. So if I, I would say that it's great training, even if you decided, and I have many good friends who didn't actually practice law, but use their, but the law degree was very helpful in their careers. How is being involved in the legal system, practicing law, or for that matter, being a judge, how is, how is that either met or different from your expectations about it? I don't think I really appreciated how much work there is behind the scenes, you know? And how much judges, you know, have to, how hard they have to work. It's a very hard job, particularly nowadays. So I don't think I appreciated that when I, you know, when I applied for the applied for the job. But I like the, you know, for for those of who who like the idea of of being a kind of being a neutral, you know, and like hearing both sides and not necessarily advocating for one side or the other. It's it's a it's a very rewarding experience. What did you think of sitting in criminal departments? Oh, I enjoyed criminal departments, you know. I think most of us do. I mean, it, it, that is a place where every day you have no idea what's going to happen, right? I mean, and, they're, and you're, you know, you can't make it up. You cannot make up what happens in court, some of the stories that you hear, you know, or the events. It's just, just so it's really interesting. And the, the lawyers are all very good. They're, the lawyers you see in, in criminal court are used to being in court. They're very good litigators for the most part in comparison to civil lawyers who never get to court who don't have that sort of comfort level, you know, that don't know the evidence that well. So I I think I I enjoyed criminal court. This is kind of a two-part question. 
But what can lawyers do to be better prepared in general for going to court? And then what sort of things do you look for in an attorney that comes in front of you? I think, and this is probably true for both criminal and civil, more so I think on the civil side, is really knowing your case and the facts. So, you know, you may be a young associate and just kind of given the file and thrown into there, but you really have to be able to at least convince the judge that you actually really know the file. You really know what the case is about and can answer questions. So I think that's for us as judges, we're looking for that. You know, if somebody really, you know, it's clear that they just have no clue what's going on in this case, don't really know the client and so forth, it's a problem for us. And so I think that's the difference. And I don't know what that means in terms of real life for a lot of lawyers. Because as I said, I was an insurance defense attorney. There are many times when the, you know, the your, your senior partner at the time with your young associate isn't really available for you. You know, they're, they're in trial and so forth. And so, yeah, you don't have a real understanding of where they're... Because I think most of the trial attorneys, the ones who actually end up trying cases and they get the file fairly early on, have a pretty good idea of what their strategy is going to be. You know, they have a pretty good idea where they want to go with the case. But if it's not conveyed to the younger, you know, associates then it's a problem when when they're you know when the young associates is given you know discovery to do and take a deposition or do whatever it might be it can be an issue or have to appear in court at a case management conference and you know well what's going on in this case where are we going with it you know where's the issues so i think that's the i would say that's it i i just lately been thinking that i'm not seeing enough of younger attorneys being appropriately supervised and given direction from the person who's actually going to be a trial, right? And the person who really knows. And they, I, and I think they really, I mean, I know, they were really good trial lawyers pretty quickly size up a case, you know, at the very beginning. They have, a, they have an idea where they're going with it, you know? Another two-part question. What do you think's the best advice you've ever received? And what advice would you give to a young attorney just starting out? I think one of the best advices that was given to me was to if you're in court, is to make friends with the court clerk. It is really, really important. (laughs) Know who your court clerk is and become friends with that court clerk because you'll be amazed how much gets back back to the judge uh, about attorney's behaviors or conduct or what they, you know, how they're... or, you know, whether the clerk likes them or doesn't uh, makes a huge difference. (laughs) I would say that was the best advice I think I was given. And is that the advice that you would give to a young attorney as well? Yeah, I think so. I think anybody coming to court, new attorney coming into court is going to be a litigator. I'd say, yeah, that's what you want to do. You want to make friends with the court staff, you know, the clerk, the court reporter, so forth, because they can do a lot for you or not. And you'll never know it one way or the other, you know. Do you think the legal system is fair? Yes, I actually think it is for the most part. I also think that as much as jury trials are, you know, criticized, certainly overseas a lot. They don't, do, they don't do many there. I actually think most jurors get it right. I mean, every now and then it's wrong, but for the most part, I, I'm thinking, I think the jurors get it right. And it's amazing because they have to make decisions very quickly, you know, and in an area that's totally foreign with, to them, you know, and deal with laws that they're now being instructed on that they've never heard before that they have to learn to digest and understand. And they do it pretty well, I think considering. So there's a lot of criticism. But, you know, for the most part, I, I think that the jurors come out right. 
I'd like to shift gears here a little bit. What is your family life like and how has practicing law mm-hmm. affected that, fit into it, practice of law fit into your family life? My children and are, are all adults and, and I have like four grandchildren, right? So for me, it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, the, the thing about it, about being a judge, I think, is that for, you know, whether you're male or female, it is very time consuming. It is really kind of 24-7, depending on your assignment, it can be really 24-7. And so you really have to carve out that time, you know, but that's true being a, a lawyer. You know, as a, as a litigator, you, you know, a lot of it is 24-7, right? Particularly when you're in trial. And so you just have to really be conscious of, of, of carving out that time for your family and for your children and your kids and grandchildren or whomever it might be. When you are off the bench, what sort of things do you like to do recreationally? What do you like to do with some of that vacation uh, time that you have? For a while, I was very involved in doing jewelry work. And then I haven't done that in a while. And then I started uh, doing some artwork. So I do have these sort of obligations. I have four grandchildren. So I started writing books for them. And I do like these Christmas letters, Santa letters for them every year, you know, which are illustrated as well as written. So that does take some time. So I sort of spend my time doing that. You know, I'm back to like the high school days, right? You know, uh, doing artwork. You've also been very involved with community service through Rotary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've also been on the Restoration Advisory Board of the Alameda Naval Air Station. Yep. Uh, I'm wondering if you just talk a little bit about that work. Yeah, so but before I was a judge, I was in, you know heavily involved, more heavily involved in Rotary, and I was with the YWCA. I was on their board of directors, and I worked for. I was a chair of a co-chair of the Alameda Restoration Advisory Board, which was a Navy. It was, well, it's a legislative command that required that when 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 various naval shipyards were decommissioned and going, you know, being put back into civilian use. There's there's this tremendous amount of environmental cleanup. Alameda Naval Air Station, which was the former Naval Air Station, was a Superfence site. It probably still is to some extent. So they had they required the community to get involved in the cleanup, and I was doing that, and that was extremely interesting. And the the Navy, I must say, did was at that time really excellent partners in that regard. Let's say you came into some real money. Three or four billion dollars. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with it. Be honest with you. <laughs> well, well, what what would you what would you do differently in your life? Do you think? Yeah. So I probably would buy a place in England, <laughs> second place. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I would think I would I would say you know you know you want to put away money for your grandchildren and so forth. But if you have billions of dollars, there's a lot of money left, right? So then you want to think about what you can do for the community. In that regard, what you can really do for the community, right? So I would probably think along those lines. Like, is there a scholarship that I want to, you know, support or, you know, create something of that nature? Yeah, that's what I think. Let's say you had a magic wand. There was one thing in the world, legal world or otherwise, that you could change. What would that be? Oh, a magic wand. You mean just, yeah, uh, you mean like physical things or just anything? anything. Well, re- really you anything. Know, I, 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 I tell you what, I'm really disturbed about two things. One is I really think that the climate change is the biggest issue that we have, period. 
and it will impact economics. It will impact social situation. It will impact, impact governance and so forth. And I think that's big. I don't know what can do, one could do about that, but if I were to have a magic wand, it would be to you know resolve that. The other major thing is, which I think is in, in part because of the economics, everything I think is ends up being some kind of economic issue, is I am really concerned about the disparity in the gap between the haves and have-nots worldwide, but particularly, I, I mean, what we're familiar with, with the U.S., you know, I'm not as familiar with outside, but I think it's true not just in the U.S. I think it's true worldwide. And that is something I, you know, I just, I just think that we could work on. And I don't, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I, for instance, I don't think it's necessary for everybody to graduate college. I think there's alternatives that we could be looking into that would give people, you know, reasonable income. And every school shouldn't be a good school. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're, if you, even if you're living in a, you know, a poverty-stricken area, you should have a good school. There's no, there's no reason not to have a good school just because, you know, it happens to be a low-income area. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. I just don't understand that. And uh, that would be my magic wand. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed? I think you, I love the questions, by the way. So, you know, I think you covered a pretty broad area. Now, there's nothing that I can think of that I would, you know, want to talk about that yet we haven't really discussed at this point. Appreciate it. Judge Joe Lindley, thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, appreciate your inviting me onto the podcast. So thank you very much. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and follow the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks to my guests and to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, Paul Roberts for social media, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. That's a really good question. I and I have to think about that. Yeah, you know. I can't. I, I actually. I don't think I could answer. I just don't. I, I. don't know what I would say. I have to think a lot about that one. That's really a great question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>